40. Tyons occur only where hilly or mountainous tracts offer scant arable areas, or where plains and valleys are sparsely populated owing to political troubles or unhealthiness. Nearly three-tenths of the population are found crowded together on the one-tenth of India's level territory which is blessed with a rainfall above the average for the country. Deserts which yield nothing are purely climatic phenomena. Steps which facilitate the historical movement, and forests which block it, are products of scant or ample precipitation. The zonal distribution of rainfall, with its maximum in the tropics and the temperate zones, and its minimum in the trade wind belts and polar regions, reinforces and emphasizes the influence of temperature in determining certain great cultural and economic zones. In equatorial regions, which have an abundant rainfall throughout the year, agriculture is directed toward fruits and roots, only in certain districts can it include cereals, and then only rice and maize. The temperate grains demand some dry summer weeks for their maturity. Excessive moisture in Ireland has practically excluded wheat growing, which in England and Scotland also is restricted chiefly to the drier eastern counties. It thrives, on the other hand, in Manitoba and the Red River region even with a short season of scant rainfall, because this comes in the spring when moisture is most needed, most important to man. Therefore, is the question how and when the rainfall is distributed and with what regularity it comes. Monsoon and trade wind districts labor under the disadvantage of a wet and dry season, and a variability which brings tragic results, since it easily reduces a barely adequate rainfall to disastrous drought. These are the lands where wind and weather lord it over man. If the rains hold off too long, or stop too soon, or withhold even a small portion of their accustomed gift, famine stalks abroad, temperature, the other important element of climate, depends primarily upon zonal location, which has far different historical results from central and peripheral location, continental and insular. It determines the amount of heat received from the sun day air and ocean currents may redistribute that heat within certain limits, and humidity or aridity modify its effects. Still zonal distinctions remain. The great climatic regions of the earth, like the hot, wet equatorial belt or the warm, dry trade wind belts or the cool, well-watered temperate zones, constitute, through the medium of their economic products and their climatically imposed methods of production, so many socio-political areas, regardless of ethnic and political boundaries. The Berber nomads of the northern Sahara live much as the Semitic Bedouins of the Syrian desert or the Turkomanstak of Arab Turkestan. They have the same tribal government, the same scattered distribution in small groups, the same economic basis of subsistence though of different races and dominated respectively by France, Turkey and Russia. The history of the tropical Antilles has in both its economic and political features paralleled that of the East Indies since the early 16th century. Temperate South America promises to follow in the historical footsteps of temperate North America, South Africa in those of Europe and temperate Australia, while people of the same latitude live approximately under the same temperature conditions. Those of contrasted zones are subjected to markedly different influences. They develop different degrees of civilization, wealth, economic efficiency, and density of population, hence they give rise to great historical movements in the form of migration, conquest, colonization, and commerce, which, like convection currents, seek to equalize the differences and reach an equilibrium. Nature has fixed the mutual destiny of tropical and temperate zones, for instance, as complementary trade regions, the hot belt produces numerous things that can never grow in colder countries, while a much shorter list of products, coupled, however, 
with greater industrial efficiency, is restricted to the temperate zone. This explains the enormous importance of the East Indian trade for Europe in ancient and medieval times. The value of tropical possessions for commercial countries like England and Holland, it throws light upon the persistence of the tropical plantation system in the Dutch East Indies and Republican Mexico, as formerly in the sugar and cotton fields of the southern states. With its relentless grip upon the throat of national life in hot lands, tropical regions, however, may profit by the fact that their mountains and plateaus permit the cultivation of temperate crops. India during the last century has introduced tea culture extensively on the Assam and Nilgiri hills, and in the Himalayan valleys up to an altitude of 7,000 feet. Besides this temperate product, it has put large areas into cotton, chiefly in the peninsular plateau of the Deccan, and by means of these two crops has caused a considerable readjustment in world commerce. Nevertheless, here the infringement of the principle of tropical production in the torrid zone is after all slight. In tropical America, on the other hand, the case is quite different, this region presents an interesting paradox in relation to its foreign commerce. Here the highlands are the chief seats of population, they contain, moreover, the most industrious and intelligent native stock. Due to geographical and historical causes running back into the ancient civilizations, as well as the largest proportions of immigrant Europeans. This is true not only of the Cordilleran states from northern Mexico to the borders of Chile, but also of Brazil, whose center of population falls on the plateau behind Rio de Janeiro and Santos. The isolation of these high plateaus excludes them to a serious extent from foreign trade, while their great altitude permits only temperate products, with the exception of subtropical coffee, which is their only crop needing a great demand. The world wants, on the other hand, the long list of lowland tropical exports which Torrid America furnishes as yet in inadequate amounts, owing to the lack of an industrious and abundant lowland population, commerce will eventually experience a readjustment in these localities to the natural basis of tropical production, but how soon or how effectively this change will take place depends upon the question of immigration of foreign tropical peoples, or the more difficult problem of white acclimatization. Despite some purely climatological objections, anthropogeography finds the division of climatic zones according to certain isothermal lines of mean annual temperature the most expedient one for its purpose. The hot zone may be taken as the belt north and south of the equator enclosed between the annual isotherms of 20 degrees C 68 degrees F. These hold a course generally far outside the two tropics, and in the northern continents frequently reach the 35th parallel. The temperate climatic zones extend from the annual isotherm of 20 degrees C to that of 0 degrees C 32 degrees F which bears little relation to the polar circles forming the limits of the solar temperate zone. The north temperate climatic zone has been further subdivided along the annual isotherm of 5 degrees C 41 degrees F distinguishing thus the warmer southern belt, which forms preeminently the zone of greatest historical intensity. The areas beyond the annual isotherms of 0 degrees C belong to the barren cold zones. See map page 612. This isothermal division of the climatic zones is abundantly justified, because the duration of a given degree of heat or cold in any region is a dominant factor in its human, animal, and plant life. A map of the mean annual isotherms of the Earth is therefore eloquent of the relation between historical development and this one phase of climate, where the lines run far apart. They enclose extensive areas of similar temperature, and where they approach, they group together regions of contrasted temperatures. 
the compression of climatic differences into a small area enlivens and accentuates the process of historical development. It produces the same sort of effect as the proximity of contrasted reliefs. Nowhere else in the world do the tropical and frigid climatic areas, as defined on the north and south by the annual isothermal lines of 20 degrees dot C dot and 0 degrees dot C dot respectively, lie so near together as in Labrador and northern Florida, separated here by only 20 degrees of latitude. On the opposite side of the Atlantic they diverge so sharply as to include the whole western face of Europe. From Hammerfest and the North Cape down to the Canary Islands and the crest of the Atlas Mountains in Africa, a stretch of 42 degrees of latitude. This approximation of contrasted climatic districts in North America was an immense force in stimulating the early economic development of the 13 colonies, and in maturing them to the point of political autonomy. It gave New England Commerce command of a nearby tropical trade in the West Indies, of subtropical products in the southern colonies in close proximity to all the contrasted products of a cold climate dense northern forests for naval stores and lumber, and in an exhaustible supply of fish from polar currents, which met a strong demand in Europe and the Antilles, the sudden southward drop of the zero degrees dot C dot annual isothermal line toward the St. Lawrence and the Great Lakes brought the northwestern fur trade to the back gate of New York, where it opened on the Mohawk and Upper Hudson, and brought prosperity to the young colony. Even today the center of collection for the Canadian fur fields is Quebec, located at 47 degrees north latitude, while the corresponding point of concentration in Europe for the furs of Russia and Siberia is Vishni Novgorod, which lies 10 degrees farther north. This compression of the isotherms emphasizes the differences of national characters produced in part by dissimilar climatic conditions, contrasts in temperament, manner of life, and point of view like that between the New Englander and Virginian, Chilean and Bolivian in the Americas, Breton and Provençal in France, Castilian and Andalusian in Spain, Gorka and Bengali in India, seem to bleach out when they are located far apart, owing to many grades of transition between, but they become striking, stimulating, productive of important economic and political results, when close juxtaposition enables them to react sharply one upon the other. In affecting these nice differentiations of local types, climate is nearly always one of the factors at work, emphasizing perhaps an existing ethnic difference. Even the slight variations of temperature to be found in the same zone or the same climatic region produce distinct results, especially where they are harnessed, as is usually the case, with some other geographic condition of relief, area or soil, pulling in the same direction, Mexico, Peru, Italy, Switzerland. Greece and Asia Minor, with its high plateau interior and its contrasted Euxine and Aegean coasts, represent each a complex of climatic differences, which, reinforced by other geographic factors, have made in these regions a polychrome picture of national life. Climatic contrasts aid differentiation also by influencing both natural and artificial selection in the distribution of peoples. This effect is conspicuous in the distribution of immigrants in all colonial lands like Africa. South America and in every part of the United States, the warm, moist air of the Gulf and South Atlantic states is attracting back to the congenial habitat of the Black Belt, the Negroes of the North, where, moreover, their numbers are being further depleted by a harsh climate, which finds in them a large proportion of the unfit. The presence of a big Negro laboring class in the South, itself primarily a result of climate, has long served to exclude foreign immigration which sought therefore the unoccupied lands and the congenial climate of the more bracing north, 
Hence it is both a direct and indirect effect of climate that the North shows a large proportion of aliens, and the white population of the South an almost unadulterated English stock. The influence of climate upon race temperament, both as a direct and indirect effect, cannot be doubted, despite an occasional exception, like the cheery, genial Eskimos, who seem to carry in their sunny natures an antidote to the cold and poverty of their environment. In general a close correspondence obtains between climate and temperament. The northern peoples of Europe are energetic, provident, serious, thoughtful rather than emotional, cautious rather than impulsive. The southerners of the subtropical Mediterranean basin are easygoing, improvident except under pressing necessity, gay, emotional, imaginative, all qualities which among the Negroes of the equatorial belt degenerate into grave racial faults. If, as many ethnologists maintain, the Blondudans of the North are a bleached-out branch of the brunette Mediterranean race. This contrast in temperament is due to climate. A comparison of northern and southern peoples of the same race and within the same temperate zone reveals numerous small differences of nature and character, which can be traced back directly or indirectly to climatic differences, and which mount up to a considerable sum total. The man of the colder habitat is more domestic, stays more in his home though he is not necessarily more moderate or continent than the southerner, he has to pay more for his indulgences, so he is economical in expenditures, with the southerner it is, easy come, easy go, he therefore suffers more frequently in a crisis, the low cost of living keeps down his wages, so that as a laborer he is poorly paid, this fact, together with his improvidence, tends to swell the proletariat in warm countries of the temperate zone, and though here it does not produce the distressing impression of a proletariat in Dublin or Liverpool or Boston, it is always degrading, it levels society and economic status downward, while in the cooler countries of the temperate zone, the process is upward, the laborer of the north, owing to his providence and larger profits, which render small economies possible, is constantly recruited into the class of the capitalist, everywhere a cold climate puts a steadying hand on the human heart and brain, it gives an autumn tinge to a life. Among the folk of warmer lands eternal spring holds sway. National life and temperament have the buoyancy and thoughtlessness of childhood, its charm and its weakness. These distinctions and contrasts meet us everywhere. The southern Chinese, and especially the Cantonese, is more irresponsible and hot-blooded than the celestial of the north, though the bitter struggle for existence in the overcrowded Kwantung province has made him quite as industrious but on his holidays he takes his pleasure in singing, gambling, and various forms of dissipation. The southern Russian is described as more light-heart than his kinsmen of the bleaker north, though both are touched with the melancholy of the sloth. In this case, however, the question immediately arises, how far the dweller of the southern wheat lands owes his happy disposition to the easy conditions of life in the fertile Ukraine, as opposed to the fiercer struggle for subsistence in the glaciated lake and forest belt of the north. Similar distinctions of climate and national temperament exist in the two sections of Germany. The contrast between the energetic, enterprising, self-contained Saxon of the Baltic lowland and the genial, spontaneous Bavarian or Swabian is conspicuous, though the only geographical advantage possessed by the latter is a warmer temperature attended by a sunnier sky. He contains in his blood a considerable infusion of the alpine stock and is therefore racially differentiated from the northern Teuton but this hardly accounts for the difference of temperament, because the same alpine stock is plodding, earnest and rather stolid on the northern slope of the Alps, but in the warm air and sunshine of the southern slope, 
it abates these qualities and conforms more nearly to the Italian type of character, the North Italian, however, presents a striking contrast to the indolent, irresponsible, improvident citizens of Naples, Calabria and Sicily, who belong to the contrasted Mediterranean race, and have been longer subjected to the relaxing effects of subtropical heat, where the climatic difference is small. It is nevertheless often conspicuous enough to eclipse other concomitant factors which are at work, and hence to encourage the formation of some easy blanket theory of climatic influences, but just because the difference is slight, all attending geographic and ethnic circumstances ought to be scrutinized. To ensure a correct statement of the geographical equation, the contrast between the light heart, gracious peasants of warm, sunny Andalusia and the reserved, Almost morose inhabitants of cool and cloudy Asturias is the effect not only of climate but of the easy life in a fertile river plain, opposed to the bitter struggle for existence in the rough Cantabrian mountains. Moreover, a strong infusion of alpine blood has given this group of Spanish mountaineers the patience and seriousness which characterizes the race in other parts of continental Europe. The conditions which have differentiated Scotch from English have been climate, relief, location geologic composition of the soil, and ethnic composition of the two peoples. The divergent development of northerners and southerners in America arose from contrasts in climate, soil and area. It was not only the enervating heat and moisture of the southern states, but also the large extent of their fertile area which necessitated slave labor, introduced the plantation system, and resulted in the whole aristocratic organization of society in the south. When one type of climate extends monotonously over a vast area, as in Russia, Siberia, Central Asia or immense tracts of Africa, the differences of temperature which prick and stimulate national endeavor in small climatic districts here lose much of their force, their effects flatten out into insignificance, overwhelmed by the encounter with too large a territory, all the southern continents are handicapped by the monotony of their zonal location. The map of annual isotherms shows Africa quite enclosed between the tutorial lines of 20 degrees centigrade, except for a narrow subtropical belt along the Barbary coast in the north, and in the south an equally narrow littoral extending east and north from the Cape of Good Hope. At first glance, the large area of South Africa lying on the temperate side of the Tropic of Capricorn raises hopes for a rich economic, social and cultural development here, but these are dashed by an examination of the isotherms. Excessive heat lays its retarding touch upon everything, while a prevailing aridity rainfall less than 10 inches or 25 centimeters, except on the narrow windward slope of the eastern mountains, gives the last touch of climatic monotony. The coastal belt of Cape Colony and Natal raise tropical and subtropical products like all the rest of the continent, while the semi-arid interior is committed with little variations to pastoral life. See maps pages 484 and 487. Climatic monotony, operating alone, would have condemned South Africa to poverty of development, and will unquestionably always avail to impoverish its national life. South African history has been made by its mines and by its location on the original water route to India, the first had dominated its economic development, and the latter has largely determined its ethnic elements English, Dutch, and French Huguenots while the magnet of the mines has drawn other nationalities and especially a large Jewish contingent into the urban centers of the Rand. In the background is the native coffer and hogtot stocks, whose blood filters into the lower classes of the white population. The diversity of these ethnic elements may compensate in part for the monotony of climatic conditions, which promise to check differentiation. However, 
Climatic control is here peculiarly despotic. We see how it has converted the urban merchants of Holland and the skillful Huguenot artisan of France into the crude pastoral bore of the Transvaal. In contrast to South Africa, temperate South America has an immense advantage in its large area lying outside the 20 degrees dot C dot isotherm, and in the wide range of mean temperatures from 20 degrees dot C dot to 5 degrees dot C dot found between the Tropic of Capricorn and Tierra del Fuego. Climate and relief have combined to make the mouth of the La Plata River the site of the largest city of the southern hemisphere. Buenos Aires, with a population of over a million, reflects its large temperate hinterland. Frigid zones and the tropics alike suffer from monotony. Of Arctic the one of cold and the other of heat. The Arctic climatic belt, extending from the isotherm of 0 degrees dot C dot 32 degrees dot F dot to the pole includes inhabited districts where the mean annual temperature is less than 15 degrees dot C dot or 5 degrees dot F dot as at the Greenland village of Aton Smith Sound and the Siberian town of Verkhoyansk. Here the ground is covered with ice or snow most of the year, and permanently frozen below the surface. Animal and plant life are reduced to a minimum on the land, so that man, with every poleward advance of his thin-strung settlements, is forced more and more to rely on the sea for his food. Hence he places his villages on narrow strips of coast, as do the Norse of Finmarken, the Eskimo and the Tungus inhabiting the Arctic Rim of Asia. Products of marine animals make the basis of his domestic economy. Farther inland, which means farther south, all tribes live by hunting and fishing. The Eurasian Hyperboreans find additional subsistence in their reindeer herds, which they pasture on the starchy lichen Cladonia range Ifrina of the tundra. See Max pages 103. 153. Though these Arctic folk are sprung from diverse race stocks, close vicinal location around an enclosed sea has produced some degree of blood relationship, but whatever their origins, the harsh conditions of their life have imposed upon them all a similar civilization. All population is sparse and more or less nomadic. Since agriculture alone roots settlement, they have the same food, the same clothing, the same types of summer and winter dwellings. Whether it is the earth head of the Eskimo or of the coast lap, the Siberian Yukagars of the Kolymo River, or the Samoyas of northeastern Russia, the spur of necessity has aroused their ingenuity to a degree found nowhere in the drowsy tropics of Africa. Dread of cold led the Yakuts of the Lena Valley to glaze the windows of their huts with slabs of ice, which are better non-conductors of heat and cold, and can be made more perfectly airtight than glass. Hence these windows have been adopted by Russian colonists. The Eskimo devised the oil lamp, an invention found nowhere else in primitive America, and fishing tackle so perfect that white men coming to fish in Arctic waters found it superior to their own, owing to the inexorable restriction of their natural resources. Contact with European commerce has impoverished the Hyperborean natives, it has caused the rapid and ruthless exploitation of their meager resources, which means eventual starvation, so long as the Ostiaks, before the coming of the Russians, were sole masters of the vast forests of the Obi Valley. They commanded a supply of fish and fur animals which sufficed for their sparse population. But the greed of the Russian fish dealers and fur traders, and the devastating work of the lumbermen have made double war upon Ostiak sources of subsistence. The appearance of the white man in Alaskan waters was the signal for the indiscriminate killing of seal and other marine animals, till the Eskimos' supply of food and furs has been seriously invaded. From Greenland to the outermost Aleutian Islands, in all this wide territory, climatic conditions forbid any substitute for the original products, 
except the domesticated reindeer on the tundra of the mainland, but this would necessitate the transformation of the Eskimo from a hunting to a pastoral people. This task the government at Washington has undertaken, but with scant success, in contrast to the numerous indirect effects of a frigid climate. No direct physiological effect can be positively ascribed to intense cold. It lays no bodily handicap on health and energy, as does the excessive heat of the tropics. The coldest regions where tillage is possible are tolerable places of residence, because their winters are intensely dry. That of central Siberia, which is drier than the driest desert, makes tent life comfortable in the coldest season, provided the tenter be clad in furs. The low temperatures of the Canadian Northwest for the same reason had not repelled settlers even from the southern states. Negroes, however, meet a climatic barrier in America at the isotherm of 5 degrees centigrade 41 degrees F. They are found in New England and Nova Scotia, generally with a large admixture of white blood, but they're in farther north where the climate is moist as well as cold. They show a fatal tendency to pulmonary diseases. The acclimatization of tropical people in temperate regions will never be a question of widespread importance. The Negroes were involuntary immigrants to America, under conditions that can never recur. Their concentration in the Black Belt, where they find the heat and moisture in which they thrive, and their climatically conditioned exclusion from the more northern states are matters of local significance. Economic and social retardation have kept the hot belt relatively underpopulated. The density map shows much the largest part of it with a population less than 25 to the square mile. Only the small portion contained in India, southernmost China, and Java shows a density over 125 to the square mile or 50 to the square kilometer. This density has to arise to 500 or more to the square mile before immigration begins. The would-be exiles then had a wide choice of new homes in other tropical lands, where they find congenial climate and phases of economic development into which they will fit. East Indian coolies are found in Cape Colony, Mail, Zanzibar, Trinidad, and British Guiana, where they constitute 38% of the population. The redundant population of crowded Western and Southern Europe also seek these sparsely inhabited tropics but they come heavily handicapped by the necessity of acclimatization. They leave their homes from Trondheim and Stockholm in the north to the Mediterranean in the south, where the mean annual temperatures vary from 5 degrees to 17 degrees C 41 degrees to 63 degrees F to seek the torrid zone which averages 25 degrees C or 77 degrees F over most of its territory. The effects of a tropical climate are due to intense heat to its long duration without the respite conferred by a bracing winter season, and its combination with the high degree of humidity prevailing over most of the torrid zone. These are conditions advantageous to plant life, but hardly favorable to human development. They produce certain derangements in the physiological functions of heart, liver, kidneys and organs of reproduction. Bodily temperature rises, while susceptibility to disease and rate of mortality show an increase ominous for white colonization. The general effect is intense inervation, this starts a craving for stimulants and induces habits of alcoholism which are accountable for many bodily ills usually attributed to direct climatic influences. Transfer to the tropics tends to relax the mental and moral fiber, induces indolence, self-indulgences and various excesses which lower the physical tone. The social control of public opinion in the new environment is weak, while temptation, due to both climatic and social causes, is peculiarly strong. The presence of an inferior, more or less servile native population, relaxes both conscience and physical energy just when both need a tonic. 
the result is general inert ation, deterioration both as economic and political agents. This is the effect of climate which has had the most far-reaching and persistent historical consequences. Our study of the historical movements of peoples in the Northern Hemisphere revealed a steady influx from colder into tropical and subtropical lands, followed always by inertion and loss of national efficiency, due partly to the debilitating heat of the new habitat, partly to its easier conditions of living. Whether the intruders came as conquerors and appropriated the fat of the land, or as immigrant colonists who dropped into slack methods of agriculture, because rain and sun and soil made their reluctant labor scarcely necessary. Everywhere in the tropics the enervating effects of heat, moisture, and abundance make not only the natives averse to steady work, but start the energetic European immigrant down the same easy descent to Avernus, passing over the deterioration of the Aryans in India, the Persians in Mesopotamia, and the Vandals in Africa. We find that modern instances show the transformation to be very rapid. The French who since 1715 have occupied the islands of Reunion and Mauritius have lost much of their thrift and energy, though their new homes lie just within the southern tropic, and are blessed with an oceanic climate. Yet the volunteer troops sent by Reunion to aid in the recent subjugation of the Hovas in Madagascar proved to be utterly useless. The Spaniards who come today to Mexico have great energy born of their former hard conditions of life in Spain, but their children are reared in a country whose mean annual temperature, even on the plateau, exceeds that of Spain by 10 degrees. C. or 18 degrees. F. A difference equal to that between Mobile and New York, or Madrid and Christiania, hence they are less energetic and vigorous, while the third generation are typical Mexicans in their easy-going way of life. The Germans who recently have colonized southern Brazil in great numbers show a similar deterioration under similar increase of mean annual temperature, combined with somewhat greater humidity, which intensifies the debilitating effects of the heat. An investigation made in 1900 by the International Harvester Company of America revealed the fact that the German farmer in the state of Santa Catharina rarely cultivated over one acre of grain. Much of the iron in the blood and conscience of the New England missionary stock which went to Hawaii two generations ago has been dissolved out by the warm rain and balmy air of the islands. In all these instances the white race has been successfully transplanted. It has domiciled itself on the borders of the tropics and has propagated its kind, though it has abated some of the vigorous qualities which characterized it in its temperate fatherland. In the real tropics like India, Cochin China, the Malay Archipelago, and Central Africa, The whole perplexing and urgent problem of European colonization turns, 